Now, if you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, Luke 11, verses 1 to 13. Find that in your pew Bible on page 869. It's our practice here to stand for the reading of God's word, and then at the conclusion, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and if you believe that, please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Let's, let's stand. Luke 11, verses 1 to 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Let me lead us a moment again in prayer. Lord, now as we turn to the study of Your Word, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. What is prayer? Well, the Christian life is quite full of various activities and, shall we say, sometimes called spiritual disciplines, things like worship and acts of charity, Bible study, evangelism, giving, uh, offerings to the Lord, and so forth. But I think it's safe to say that the majority of Christians struggle when it comes to that particular activity called prayer. 
Now, that's not to say that we would agree that prayer, or that we would say that prayer is not important. We wouldn't be found saying that we don't need to be praying people. But if we look at our calendars, if we, if we were to be followed around by a video cam day in and day out, we might not see a lot of prayer going on. I don't know if that's true for you, but it seems to be certainly true in my life. I remember as a young Christian in college, um, after I had come to Christ, uh, I, I was informed about a book. It was a little book. It was a classic book on prayer. And I got a hold of that little book and I read it carefully. And I was so challenged. I was so motivated about prayer. That day, after my morning classes were over, I skipped lunch, went straight back to my dorm room. My roommate was gone. I opened my closet door, cleared out a little space and crawled in, pulled the door shut and spent one solid hour in prayer. Well, I'm sorry to tell you that that was the last time I did that for a very long time. I don't know if you've had that experience. I seem to have, have mistaken my, desire, my discipline for desire. I had more discipline than I had desire. And sometimes that backfires. And instead of progress, we actually go backwards. It's sort of like the tortoise and the hare idea, I guess. So how do we grow as a praying people? And one lesson I learned that day was that consistency is, and simplicity is better than occasional perfection because sometimes the perfect is the enemy of the good and we don't end up doing anything about it. Well, here we have an example with the disciples, an incident in which Jesus is praying and his disciples saw him praying. And as all good disciples do, they want to be like their master. And so one of the disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Well, did Jesus say, well, we'll have to get around to that when it comes up in our curriculum. Did he put it on the calendar that we will discuss this uh, next month? No, he right away steps up and begins to teach them about prayer. And so I would suggest to you that if it is your, on your heart, as it is on mine, that I and we grow as praying people, that we do what the disciples do, and that is, let's see what Jesus has to say. Let's learn from him. I probably should say this, that uh, it's my privilege to pre preach to you this morning, and uh, I've been assigned uh, four Sunday mornings in this next four-month period, which I intend to continue to preach on the subject of prayer. So we will not exhaust the subject this morning, but while Charlie continues to finish out our study in the book of Galatians intermittently, I will be talking about the subject of prayer. So here we find the disciples meeting with Jesus, and Jesus begins to teach them about, about prayer. And one of the, the first question I would like to raise is, what is prayer anyway? And the first thing that Jesus says to them is, when you pray, say. The first four words of his little lesson are, when you pray, say. In other words, prayer is speech. Now, maybe that's a little, a little bit similar to the coach who used to bring out the football 
every fall and say, gentlemen, this is a football. Is that too basic? Prayer is speech. Okay. So Jesus said, when you pray, say, etc. And the reason why we speak to God is because he spoke to us. God is a speaking God. William Philip, a pastor in Scotland, wrote a little book called Why We Pray. And the first reason why we pray is that because God is a God who speaks. He is a speaking God. And we speak to a God who speaks. And he spoke first. Let me give you some illustrations of this. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that uh, our creator is a God. It shows us that our, our creator is a God who speaks. He said, God said, is repeated in chapter 1 of Genesis 10 times. And the God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let there be animals and let there be plants and let there be dry land and let there be seas and so forth. God said that again and again. And then it comes down to the end and we find a conversation in which God says, let us make man in our image. There is a conversation going on in the Trinity. Well, we know this from later reading, that God is not one, but three persons. God is one God, but three persons, and that they communicate with each other. They talk amongst themselves. How long has this been going on? Forever. The conversation that occurs among the Trinity is like, well, I only get glimpses of it from that time to time. When somebody whom I'm very close to, we can say something back and forth and say, yeah, that was exactly what I was thinking. I don't think the Trinity had any arguments amongst themselves, but they talked to them. They talked amongst themselves. Let us make man in our image, God says. The members of the Trinity talk to themselves, talk amongst themselves in perfect harmony. And when they're discussing this, they go on to say, and let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. And so, in this Godhead, in this Trinity, there is a perfect relationship. There is never any disagreement. There is never any disharmony. There is never any friction. There's no competition amongst these members, these persons of the Trinity. They speak with each other, uh, and they speak authoritatively and finally. And we see this as we read the words of Genesis 1. And then after creating man, it says that he created man, male and female, and God blessed them. It's clear that the first thing that God says to man, to our first father and mother, was a blessing that he put upon them. He does say some other things, which we will see. But he blesses them, and I have to assume that this was a spoken blessing that they heard from him. Nothing is greater to think about than God blessing us. We pray for God's blessing regularly, and he blessed our first parents on that moment. And after blessing them, 
It says in Genesis chapter 1 that he, he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So, after blessing them, he gives them this assignment. This is what they are to do. They are given uh, a charge. They are to rule over things. They are to be fruitful and multiply. They are to subdue and have dominion over the creation. And then he tells them, I have given you everything here to provide for you. There is nothing lacking. I have thought about how chaotic the world was when God created it and said that there was darkness and there was no form to anything. And then God put it all in order and made it, for, uh, made it inhabitable for us. God continued to speak with man. After this incident, Genesis chapter 2, there we see God taking the man, just the man at this point, and putting him in a garden that he made for him. And he gives him a mandate to work that garden, to keep it. And then he tells him, you need a helper. I will make a helper for you. But first he has him bring the animals before him, and he names them. And so we can understand that at this point, clearly, the man has now the facility, the ability to speak, to name things, to look at uh, an octopus or a hippopotamus or a centipede and give it a name. And he did that. But in all of that, he found not a helper fit for him, and so God made the woman he made the woman, and he brought her to the man. And then we read the first words ever written down that a man spoke. This is, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Or as someone said, whoa, man. Because she was taken out of man. These, was that, was that a prayer? Was that the first prayer? Well, I don't know, but it was words that man spoke in God's presence. They were words of thanksgiving. They were words that showed the man received the woman and that he accepted her and that he needed her. He recognized her and he, he valued her as God would have it. Well, quickly, we go to chapter 3. And the serpent appears on the scene. And then things go off track. And the woman spoke to the serpent in response to the serpent. And prayer, that communication with God was interrupted. Another conversation was started. That leads to the fact that it's difficult for us even now to re-keep that going, to reinitiate and keep going with that conversation. 
but God, but God pursued the man and the woman. We'll come back to this. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, when you pray, say, Father. When you pray, say, Father. Prayer is speech to God, our Father. In Adam, who had fallen, there was no claim to God as Father. Adam was alienated from God in the fall. And under God's wrath, as all sinners are, and sin came upon, spread to all, and death came to all. But then God entered into history, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, wrote John. And the gospel was proclaimed, repent and believe, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the gospel said, in Christ, not in Adam, but in Christ you are a new creation. And 2 Corinthians 5.17, for if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. In Romans 8. We read these words, starting in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, you who are new creatures in Christ. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness that with, with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so in Christ, we have been made children of God. We have made, been made sons of God, whether you're male or female doesn't matter because you have full sonship before the father and you Jesus taught his disciples when you say when you pray say father because he is your father and you come now not simply as a creature who has fallen but as a son who has been redeemed in Christ so this is the language that we use this is the language of sons who come to their father now, some have objected to the whole concept of God being seen as our father. And admittedly, the Bible has words that speaks to us in baby talk so that we can understand. Our fallen society and our fallen people, our fallen families, we have fathers and they are not perfect. And they are sometimes abusive. But I would suggest that God has adopted all of us to be his own. And we who had loving fathers are blessed, and we who were not given loving fathers can also appreciate what it means to now finally have a father, a true father who we can come to in prayer and who Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. And finally, prayer is speech to our father for what 
purpose to request that his will be done. Now, in this prayer that Jesus gives, there are several requests that he mentions that they, can, they, they should make. I would call them sample requests. They're not exhaustive, but they're typical of what we may ask of God. And we'll talk about that in another occasion, but this morning I want to suggest that the main point of this prayer is to pray that his kingdom would come. And as Matthew puts it in his version of this prayer, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is about coming to our Father, who is our Father in heaven, and asking that his will would be done. And John assures us in his first epistle that if we ask anything according to his will, it will be done. And it will be done. We ask for things that sometimes are not his will, and we don't get them. And good thing we don't. But we always get his will. He always answers according to his will. And so prayer is speech to our Father to request that his will would be done. Jesus himself in the garden on the night in which he was betrayed prayed to his father and he said father if you are willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done Luke chapter 22 verse 42 and the father's will was done but the cup was not taken from him he drank the cup of God's wrath for us literally at the cross earlier that evening in the upper room Jesus had announced in the supper this cup is the new covenant in my blood for many for the forgiveness for the forgiveness of sins Today, in a few minutes, we will celebrate again that covenant in his blood. What a privilege it is. And what has he given us in this covenant, this new covenant? He has given us new birth, regeneration by the Holy Spirit. He has forgiven our sins and cleansed us of all unrighteousness. He has given us eternal life with him. He has justified us, declared us righteous not on our own works, but on the works of Christ. Sanctification, he makes us holy and he, in a process of changing us. He adopts us as his own. He makes us his heirs. And he promises us that we will be with him forever. He also gives us prayer in the meantime. He gives us access to his throne. When you pray, say, Father, Thy will be done. Christ is our brother, and he gave himself for us. It doesn't require fancy words. It doesn't require special uh, um, paraphernalia. It doesn't require you to be in a special place. There's no special rituals. It's a simple thing. It's simple human language that we pray before God, and we ask him as our father that his will would be done. And all that means, it includes your daily bread. It includes the changing of the universe by the coming of his kingdom. That's big stuff. It's small stuff. It's everything. 
I urge you to think about this, that your Father welcomes you and that you and I, as we re remember that prayer is speech to our Father in heaven, that his will will be done. The question before us is, will we grow as a praying people? Will we? Will we grasp that wonderful provision that he has made for us? Disciples of Jesus want to be like him, and he prayed, so we pray. Let us learn to be like him. Let us grow in this whole matter of prayer, whether it's in the middle of the night or whether it's out on the interstate, wherever it is and whatever the circumstances, call upon the Lord, our Father, who is in heaven, and may your will be done. Amen. Let us pray. Father, that's what you have allowed us to call you. We are privileged to say that name. Father, Abba, Father, our Daddy, you love us. You gave your Son for us. And by him we are made new. In Christ we are new creations. And you love us. And you desire to hear us pray. And answer our prayers according to your will. Oh Lord, deliver us from being too complicated. Deliver us from a, an obsession with being perfect ourselves and our, in ourselves in all that we do. But let us, in simplicity, learn to be more consistent in calling upon you for every need and for the world in which you've placed us. And may we call on you that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.